The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Hail St Mary's. We salute Southampton's miracle win as they lay Pep's side so bare they were more manscaped than Man City. While City next await the Manchester derby, will Arsenal be wishing they had a Brazilian this weekend in the North London Crosstown Affair? We'll ask those questions plus others like Qatari Breakout are QSI buying spurs in this Totally Football Show. Thursday, 12th of January, remarkably, as we sit here in the Totally Studio today, listener, we have for you Duncan Alexander. Hi, Duncan. Hello, James. Also, Tom Williams here with us. Hi, Tom. Hello, James. And on the big Zoom, it's Carl Anker in Manchester. All right, Carl. How are you doing? I'm doing well, I think the last time, Carl, that you and I were together with Tom, was it the day that Gareth Bale scored his, what turned out to be, last ever goal? As a professional footballer. Last ever goal in football, yeah. And, you know, obviously the narrative around Gareth Bale for years now has been, well, he's going to jack it in because he's got very little left to achieve. He's got nothing left to prove to anyone. Um, And when Wales went out of the World Cup in the extremely underwhelming manner in which they did, uh, you know, there was talk about what it would mean for his future. And then he said, oh, no, I'm, I'm still going to be here. I'm looking forward to the Euro qualifiers. And then that minor bombshell early this week. Yeah. How did you he, feel, Tom? Uh, not all that surprised, to be honest. Right. I suppose you look at the fact that he's only 33 and it, it feels it feels young for a footballer to be retiring but this is a guy who's been playing full seasons of men's football since he was 16 so if he'd started his career at 20 like most footballers do this would be the equivalent of retiring at 37 mm. he's also someone who's really put his body through the ringer who has had constant injury problems you know you go back 2017 2018 I don't think he's had a, a full season spared by injury since then so from that perspective, it makes sense, and also in you know in the in the sense that he he has kind of completed football, mm. Um, mm. and in some of the reaction to the announcement of his retirement, you heard people saying things like, "Oh, you know, such an exciting talent. Sure, he achieved a lot, but there's a slight sense of him not fully filling his potential." And it reminded me a little bit of the things that were said when Wayne, Wayne Rooney retired. Mm. And I remember thinking at the time, if you'd gone back in time to when Wayne Rooney was 16 mm. and told people what he would go on to achieve, just set it out in black and white, people mm. would have thought, "Yeah, that sounds about right." And if you told people what Gareth Bale would go on to achieve when he was 16, you'd come to the same conclusion. You know, Tom, f- if we approach 16-year-old Tom Williams and said that. 2022, you'll be sat here with Karl Anker, Duncan Alexander, talking about football for a living. He'd be like, have I still got all my hair? Like, <laughs> I don't know how to make this to you, Tom. <laughs> Apart from that, it's all okay. But yeah, don't don't get too attached to that. Buy right. some hats. Yeah, buy some hats. That's my, that's my tip to you, 16-year-old Tom Williams. Right. Uh, I mean, it's good advice. Good advice. Uh, I mean, l- lovely perspective there, uh, Tom. Do you want to hear the sound of Tom celebrating Bale's last ever goal? Yes, no! Get in there, Baylor. <laughs> Get in there, Baylor. Baylor. Might make that as available as an, an NFT, I think. Baylor sounds like what an Australian would call someone who works on hay harvesting at the end of the summer. It's <laughs> quite literal for you, actually, Duncan. Anyway, that was uh, magnificent. Tom, do you want to give us your favourite Bale memory? Um, I mean, there's a lot to choose from, mm-hmm. from a Wales perspective. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to say the winner that he scored against Belgium in a Euro 2016 qualifier in the summer of 2015 on a sultry, drizzly evening at the Cardiff City Stadium. And it was the moment when suddenly the prospect of Wales qualifying for a major tournament, which we hadn't done since 1958, swam vividly into focus. Chester tries to keep it in there. Oh, Nungle, that's a terrible header. Straight to Bale! Yeah! 1-0 Wales! Scott Bale strikes again! Fantastic performance uh, against the Belgium team, who I think were probably ranked number one or number two in the world at the time. A Belgium team who Wales would then go on to beat again, memorably, in, in, in the quarterfinals at Euro 2016. Um, I mean, there are so many Bale moments for Wales, but I think, yeah, I think that one... One of the things as well with Bale is that he was around for so long. He made his Wales debut in 2006 or something. And there were, you know, there were years in the doldrums and you find, you find yourself thinking, oh, well, at least Bale's there. At least Bale's there. We'll get some more players. and But, but you know, at least Bale's there. At least Bale's there. And then, you you know, there were moments when when things weren't coming together as, as we'd all hoped. And then finally, you know, wonderfully, they did. And he was, you know, he was present for every single major moment. Magnificent. What's that, listener? Enough Gareth Bale talk? All right, then. Since Monday's show, we've had plenty of cup action. First off, on Monday night, Arsenal went through in the FA Cup with a 3-0 win over Oxford United. Arsenal will be playing Man City in the next round. Man City, who this Wednesday got knocked out of the Carabao Cup quarterfinals by, bottom of the table, Southampton 2-0, the scoreline at St Mary's. City winners of five of the last seven League Cups here without a single shot on target. Saints, in the semi-finals of this competition, will now face Newcastle, who will be making their first semi-final appearance in the League Cup since 1976. Newcastle were 2-0 winners over Leicester. Dan Byrne with his first goal. A very special dance after. Also through to the semi-finals, Nottingham Forest. Woo! After a 1-1 draw and a penalty shootout with Wolves, Forest will be taking on Man United. Uh, they did Charlton 3-0 with a goal from Anthony and two from Marcus Rashford. Forrest will not be able to field Dean Henderson in that semi-final clash on account of him being property of Man United. All right, well, much to discuss there. But of course, let's begin with what on earth happened at St Mary's. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. So much more identity to this performance. That's a lovely ball from Lavia. And suddenly Jennifer bursting through. He chips the goalkeeper. It's an absolute beauty. It's an absolute beauty from Musa Jenepo. Southampton 2, Man City 0. It's so good that we have former Saints correspondent Carl Anker with us today. Carl, how excited are you for Southampton? It's a real turn for the books, a real surprise result. Uh, and this was the best Southampton performance I've seen under Nathan Jones uh, and gives slight hope that they won't be horrendous for the rest of the Premier League season. Okay, and particularly this weekend with the absolutely crucial Premier League clash they've got away at fellow bottom three side Everton. Two absolutely magnificent goals in this game. Now, the opener from, is it Sekumara? Yes. With that wonderful, I mean, it's the burst of speed and then the touch. Yeah, truly. Uh, really nice bended run to, to get in behind and really exploit uh, a car walk who's caught between two worlds. Uh, and then the second goal from Musa Janepo, 
just one of those fantastic goals where the goalkeeper makes a decision for you and he goes, all right, well, I'll make you look a bit foolish. So, yeah, truly remarkable. Southampton hadn't played in such a coherent fashion quite some time. Uh, I think they've, in recent seasons, they've managed to to bloody nose as Manchester City. Uh, I think because of the strength of their their aggressive pressing style on the Ralph Hasen uh, and there were shades of that in this League Cup victory. They really, really counter-pressed very well uh, against this Manchester City team that was oddly flat. Second goal, Duncan. Yeah, it was strange goalkeeping. Stefan Ortega was kind of caught in no man's land, which you don't really see with uh, it. Look, modern keepers. It looked kind of like a goal in a school's cup final, where it went sort of really central and sort of rose and then just sort of dipped down. It wasn't like a top corner finish. It was. It wasn't the sort of goal you see much in uh, in professional football. I would say. Really? Well, it was like a chip yeah. and a curler, all yeah. in one, which is quite quite unusual. So that, that's what I mean. Like when you're a kid, you kind of hit it. You know, you try and hit a chip, but also get a bit of curl on it. You don't have the Do requisite. Yeah, because yeah, your shots can't quite reach. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, you put involuntary curl on them and who knows where they'll go. Exactly. Well, that one in, nestled in the net nicely. And Saints make their way through to the semi-finals. And the question now, as I say, is can they extend this into the league where so far that they've lost all their matches under Nathan Jones, whilst in cup competitions they've won all their games different formation that he went with here with a, a 4-2-3-1 which Jacob Tanswell who replaced of course famously Carl Anker as Saints correspondent for the Athletic highlighting as one of the reasons behind Saints new newfound coherence and James Ward-Prowse as a number 10 that sounds sexy yes uh, I think Ward-Prowse was used on the rough Arsenal uh, in this 4-2-2-2-6 and uh, we sort of this ball winning Perpetual motion machine, not too dissimilar to Declan Rice or Calvin Phillips for Leeds. But moving him close to the goal was useful in this game, especially by the fact that uh, Romeo Lavia had returned as well. Lavia was one of Southampton's uh, young recruits. They pinched him from Manchester City. And by all accounts, he's mustered uh, and was very impressive up until his substitution in this game at St Mary's. So I'm not sure if Ward-Prowse will continue to be at number 10 for too long, but him and Lavia coming in, gives options to a team that, I mean, in those early weeks under Nathan Jones, they didn't really seem to know how they wanted to score goals other than pump it up to Che Adams. Okay. Do you, you don't envisage a similar approach at Goodison Park Saturday afternoon from Nathan Jones? Probably, if only because Nathan Jones at the moment seems to need some form of stability and some form of, well, this has, I know this bit works. Uh, the, the baffling... And concerning thing about Southampton since the World Cup finished and came back was Jones had the entire tournament to work with a camp of players that mostly was all there and they didn't really have a functional style. Uh, whereas this game against Manchester City, they seem to have the semblance of something. So, yeah, uh, I'm not saying this was a tactic you can get winning results against every opposition in the Premier League, but it worked for now. So I wouldn't be surprised if Nathan Jones ran it back. Mm, absolutely. Against an Everton side who are struggling, Saints bottom of the table but Everton not too much better off 18th Saints haven't won at Goodison Park since November 1997 that's a long time ago was that when Kevin Davis scored that absolute worldy from out on the right flank this is Davis Oakley through the centre at the moment and Davis going on and on and on that's and wonderful on. absolutely wonderful it absolutely was. It's the only Everton-Southampton memory that I probably have <laughs> stored in the old memory bank. But For now. 
for mm. an hour at least. I mean, that game does feel like a proper a proper six-pointer, doesn't it? A proper yeah. ding-dong. 12-pointer, I'd say. 12-pointer, if not. But I mean, you know, two teams in dismal form, but mm. whereas Southampton go into the game off the back of these two very positive results uh, in the Cup, um, Everton obviously knocked out of the FA Cup by Man United on February, so there isn't any, there doesn't seem to be any light in the in the gloom for them. Um, and then we know there's going to be this sit-down protest from fans Is there? after the game. Where are they um, going to sit down? I'm guessing, a good question actually, because if they just sit in their seats, won't they just look like they're sitting down? How do you... I mean, they will. They'll, yeah. have, to, they'll have to sit somewhere else, because otherwise that's just not going to... Have they thought this through? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I, I bet they have, and I don't want to in any way not take seriously the the strength of their. Uh, I think I might. Have, I think it's a sit-in protest, a sit-in, than a sit-down protest. If you're already if you're already sitting down, it's hard right. to weaponize that, isn't right. it? Other than just by staying put. But I did note that in the statement that they put out, the Everton supporters group, where they announced this protest, they did also say that they're going to get behind the team during the game. They're going right. to welcome the team bus with the flares and all the rest of it. Mm. So you know, at the very least, we we should get a kind of. The kind of classic crackling Goodison atmosphere as we got, you know, towards the end of last season during that successful relegation, uh, yeah. you know, battle. So, I mean, Frank Lampard must have sat down this week and thought, well, Saints have got Man City in the League Cup. They'll probably get a, a moral crushing crushing in that. Um, that'll, that'll help me at the weekend. And then they go and win 2-0 and that... That's, yeah. Although we have seen Saints do similar things. There was that victory over Chelsea at St Mary's earlier in the season, which didn't exactly spark Yeah, them. but I think new managers do, you know, they, they, when it doesn't go well. And, you know, if if Southampton do lose to Everton, um, Nathan Jones will be only the fifth manager ever in Premier League history to lose his first five games. So he is in a, in a bad spot. But new managers, yeah. But new managers do sometimes stumble on something that works. And um, as Carl was saying, Southampton, it wasn't... It wasn't the most exciting win, but it was a very effective win, and they looked pretty solid in that game. The City, you know, never really came back, um, mm. even when they brought on the hashtag big guns. Exactly. I'm just checking, actually, Saints' results. They did beat Chelsea at home 30th of August. Uh, they lost their next four games after that. So, uh, well, we'll see if it works out better this time. As for Man City... Crisis. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in their last eight games, they've right. lost to Brentford at home. Mm-hmm. They've drawn against Everton at home, and now they've lost to Southampton. So that's inconsistent. And I think that the temptation with City over the last few weeks has been to look at the fact that they've been playing badly and dropping points unexpectedly and losing games you wouldn't expect them to lose, and link it to the fact that Guardiola has been making some slightly strange selection decisions and think, well, of course they're playing badly. You know, Guardiola is is making all these all these tweaks and, and pepping you know, it up. And pepping it up. But in actual fact, I think he's been doing that in reaction to the fact that City haven't really been playing well for for months. Um you go back to the start of the season. Didn't they play well last weekend? They did, but asterisk mm. it was against Chelsea. Um, okay. Who are Chelsea now an asterisk not, team? Who are not well, having it was a very poor. Season. It was a very poor first half from Manchester City mm. against Chelsea. They, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not Haaland is making this Manchester City side worse. And I think what we are beginning to see is the weaknesses in wide areas from Manchester City that previously weren't there. So Raheem Sterling's left. Gabriel Jesus has left. There is a just a slight lack of explosive pace up wide, which means if for some reason Haaland isn't getting the service that he 
got at the start of the season when KDB was pinging all them balls in. There's not much else in attacking form. Uh, and in central areas, E.K. Gundogan is basically it because Rodri is having to cover two, two or three many jobs. Um, this City's team is not the magnificent City team of the 18-19 season. And it's just really odd. I mean, if you, you go back to the end of October, for example, and I think we all remember how impressively City started the season, the amount of goals they scored, the blistering form of Erling Haaland scoring hat-trick week after week. But since kind of like late October, they win 1-0 away at Leicester, Kevin De Bruyne a free kick, not a great performance. The one at home to Fulham, scratchy performance, Jao Cancelo gets sent off needlessly, they have to come back from behind. I think they won it with like a stoppage time penalty from Haaland. They lose their last game before the World Cup at home to Brentford. Since the World Cup, they've dropped points at home to Everton, won away at Leeds, not in massively convincing fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, you know, when they beat uh, Chelsea last time out in the league, again, slightly peculiar starting eleven. Guardiola has to sort of, you know, rip things up at, at half-time and they grind out a pretty unimpressive 1-0 victory. And it, you find yourself thinking, how many times have City really impressed us in the last few months? There was the game against Liverpool. Right, I've got one. Between the World Cup final and ooh, ooh, Christmas. Choose me. <laughs> in 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 the League well, Cup, there was the Chelsea game in the FA right, Cup. Right, but and apart from that, I've got one. Go on there, James. When they played Man United last, like they're going to this weekend, I when know. they absolutely mullered them six <laughs> three. But when was that? That, that was, was mid October. That was mid October. To, to add, like, no, my my contention is that since then, right, they have been struggling. All right, so, to, since not then, been United flying. have been add, flying. They have. Well, mm. to add beef stock to Tom's theoretical soup. Um, since the start of November, the top scorers in the Premier League of Brighton were 13. Yep. Uh, Brentford got 11. Man United got 10. Well, who's that right in mid-table with eight? The same as Fulham? It's Manchester City. So That's my case. Stats. They can't score. They need to sell Haaland. They don't. <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't call it a full-on crisis. I, I think this is a momentary wobble. Um, and Pep Guardiola always seems to fashion the correct solution. Um, the big thing for City, I think, is is the limited mo- moments for Phil Foden and for Jao Cancelo, two players who are, who give the necessary width uh, and and the combination play that Pep often desires. They haven't been playing full 90 minutes. Wh- why is that? Weeks. Is that Pep's fault, Carl? It's really curious. So the, there've been two or three games where Phil Foden hasn't started since the World Cup finished. Uh, and there've been questions about that. And, and Pep sort of went, went, you know, given a, that sort of snippy answer he often does where you've got to separate the sarcasm from what he's actually trying to say. Um, and Jacques Cancelo as well isn't playing the, the minutes that one would expect. Rico Lewis seems to be coming in as, as a decent deputy at fullback, but there, hmm, is, is my hmm. hmm. We know Pep, Pep said he, he's got something special planned for the derby. Yeah. And I very much felt, that seemed very tongue-in-cheek. Um, New jumper. So, yeah, yeah, probably. That, that grey cardigan jumper thing's coming back. But you're right, Carl. Cancelo last season was was topping all the all the metrics, you know, XA per ninety. He's way, way down the season. He I mean I think people were surprised he didn't play much in the World Cup, but you know, this form wise, it's uh, it's bang on. And as we mentioned, Man United have been absolutely flying. They've won their last eight games in a row in all competitions, only one defeat in the last eighteen across the various tournaments they are part of. The latest victory coming Tuesday night against Charlton, 3-0. What a lovely opening goal from Anthony. And what a delight to see Marcus Rashford then, adding a brace to continue his extraordinary scoring run, Carl. 
Yeah, he, he is the inform player for Manchester United, if not the inform attacker in the Premier League at the moment. Uh, this was a really strange game that I had to grab some highlights and rewatch after the fact because it wasn't televised. Uh, and for, for large patches, Fred was the best player, which I want to say because that doesn't often happen. He, he had a nice little, he had a nice free kick, and you're like, oh yeah, maybe maybe Fred should be allowed to take free kicks once in a while. Um, but yeah, and yeah, just it's one of those victories that maybe after a couple more months, I'd be happy calling a straightforward victory on okay. Ten Hag because this is so early in his tenure. Uh, I'm still faintly surprised mm. that Manchester United can beat a, a League One opposition team by three goals in, in quite commanding fashion. Only his 27th game in charge, but he's won 20 of them. Mm. Is he, That's I, more than a better start than any other manager in the club's history. Ever. 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 How good is this team going to be when they put Vote Veghorst into it? That's Oof. the question. I mean... Is that happening? It is, I think, yeah. And if you'd have told me at the start of December... I don't know. Right. What mid- about when you were 16? Uh, that was... A, <laughs> no. Um, if you told me in mid-November that Vote Veghorst would become one of the the key men at the World Cup scored one of the most memorable goals and then joined Manchester United. I'm not sure how I'd have coped, to be honest. That's but. the magic of football, really, isn't it? Yeah. He scored nine goals for Besiktas this season. Yeah. Only got 20... Sorry, he only got two, sorry. Two in 20. They'll be saying that next year, yeah. Um, he did only get two for Bernie, but his XG yeah. was around six, so he... Is that good? Well, it means he underperformed. Yes, but it that's shows, what I mean. Yeah, but it shows that he's got the uh, the potential, and trust me, he's he's got the potential. He's going to go big <laughs> in the next few months. I mean, it is reassuring, as sophisticated as football gets, there is always, always a place for a big lummox up front, no mm. matter who you are, no matter what <laughs> metrics you Although use, no he doesn't, how sophisticated your data analysis is. It's classic Peter Crouch territory, where, you know, he's actually pretty good with his feet, and he, he's not necessarily a... That, I think that's one of the reasons he didn't settle brilliantly at Burnley, was they were just smashing the ball to him and going, you know, come on, Entman, knock it down, and it didn't really work out. But I think, I think the chances United create, I think he, he could do really well. And we just want to see that free kick tried once in the Premier League. Mm. Well, he he won't be available, of course, for this weekend's game on account of the fact that he doesn't actually play for Man United yet. But Carl, do you want to call it for us this derby? Been some bitter, bitter experiences at the hand of City for United of late. But can this United reverse that trend? I think so. I think one of the big question marks battles will be central midfield. Um, so Christian Eriksen, Casemiro seem to be Ten Hag's first choice. But in the previous 6-3, uh, Eriksen looked particularly vulnerable. Uh, he's not the most aggressive going for 50-50s whenever there's a loose ball. Uh, and he's not the best at tracking runners. And one of the big things in the 6-3 was just Pep just flooded the central midfield and just brought constant runners in. If you watch the FA Cup game, there was a disallowed goal Dominic Cavalier scored for offside and that was the sort of, ooh, late arrival in the box thing that uh, United might be vulnerable to. So I, I think if Ten Hag goes for a, a Fred Casemiro central midfield, United's chances of getting something slightly stronger. I believe the form book and the opta percentages are, are still in Manchester City's favour. But uh, yeah, City are beatable as has been shown. Uh, all post-World Cup. Magnificent. That game is early Sunday and it is televised. Saturday. Saturday. Early Saturday, as they say, and it is televised. Yeah. As you'd expect. How did they pick that one up? Like <laughs> Magnificent. All right. More of the weekend's games coming up. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet, the home of squads. Squads is a weekly free-to-play game 
You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScore Bet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScore Bet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Liverpool fans, we've got some news. The Athletics dedicated Liverpool podcast has been given a lick of paint and it's coming back bigger and better than ever in 2023. It's still twice a week and still your go-to place for transfer news, analysis and opinion from the Athletics esteemed football writers. But the first big change is me, Tony Evans, as your host. I'm the former football editor of the Times of London and I've been on the Mersey beat for years. You'll never walk alone as part of Anfield folklore and we want a new name that truly resonates with Liverpool, the fans, the history, the essence of the club. So that's where we went for Walk On. Join us twice a week through the winds and the rain as Jürgen Klopp's Reds aim to save their season and maybe even sign a bleeding midfielder in January. Simply search for Walk On on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Come on, have a listen. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Big weekend in the Premier League, of course. Alongside Everton, Southampton, and that Manchester derby, there's things like oh, Fulham, Chelsea. That's this evening, Thursday. Will we see another upset? Oh, will Fulham win? <laughs> <laughs> Lol. Also this weekend, oh, the North London derby. Uh, there's Brighton, Liverpool as well. Will we see another upset or will... Yeah, etc. <laughs> All right. The North London derby. Let's talk about that. Tottenham, Arsenal. Arsenal at the top of the table. Spurs currently fifth. But Spurs very much in the news themselves this week. We talk of QSI, Qatar Sports Investment, owners of PSG, wanting to buy a stake in the North London club. A stake. Is this how it starts? Does it end with so, Harry yeah. Kane being made to wear a one of those black mesh bishts when he comes out with a mascot? Uh, let's ask the man who, who wrote this story up this week, and that's the Athletics' very own Adam Crafton, who joins us now. Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. So Spurs have said that they're not in talks with QSI. Uh, What's actually going on, though? Yeah, I think what's happened since the World Cup is Qatar has obviously been emboldened by their perception that the World Cup was a huge success for them, that they want to continue to be involved, not just in, in elite sport, but very, very relevant in elite sport. And the next stage for them is about how they grow you know, what they consider to be a kind of multi-club model, much in the same way as we've seen Manchester City do. I think Chelsea are looking down that road as well. And we've seen PSG ownership, QSI, I think they took a stake or even a uh, majority stake in uh, Braga in, in Portugal um, over the past year or so as well. And I think that initially the plan was, you know, you take stakes in smaller smaller clubs than your main, than your main outfit, which is PSG at the moment. 
I think that's potentially now changing, that mindset. And they are looking at the Premier League as a place where they want to be involved. At this stage, that is as a minority uh, shareholder because you couldn't have, for example, majority ownership of PSG and Tottenham or PSG and Manchester United because UEFA would have an issue with that because mm. it would be like a, a conflict. Um, but I think they probably could get away with a situation where they have different directors, potentially, and minority investments. Okay. Is there any suggestion that this might replace PSG as their main focus? Not at the moment. And they're pretty insistent that, you know, PSG remains a priority. You've got Paris Olympics 2024, which I think they see the Qatar ownership as being a significant part of in some in some way, at least being present on the ground during that period. Um, but I think that they definitely, I wouldn't say they see a limitation in, in Ligue 1, but I think they, they see the Premier League as the main the main event right and and not just spurs because this is a remarkable times where we've got what half of the the big six right. up for sale in in some shape or form are they are they also interested in outfits like manchester united liverpool yeah well i, I think what what's happened is there was a co- there was a meeting between nasser al-khalifi very famous for being president of psg um, and daniel levy the spurs chairman um a few weeks ago where and I think what happened in, in that is that they were spotted wherever they were having those talks. It was reported, I think, by CBS at first. And and, fr- and from there, that's where this story is kind of snowballed. Spurs are still continuing to deny that these talks ever took place. Um, we're not getting those same denials uh, from the Qatari end of, of things at all. Um, so it, it might just be a kind of like a stake in the ground, right, to say we are we're here and we're interested and we're looking and we're scouring the market. It might also be that you initially take a minority stake, you see how that develops and over time that becomes something much bigger. Mm. Um, yeah, I, From everything that I saw out in Qatar, I don't see them as being happy to be a sort of silent partner in anything that they're looking to do, particularly when it's as big as Tottenham. And I think it would be quite a strange dynamic, wouldn't it? Really? I mean, to have Daniel Levy and Qatar in that same kind of room making decisions i mean maybe it would just mean that spurs would be able to do a huge number of things that they wouldn't previously be able to do just because of the financial muscle um involved in it but i think it would make people feel uncomfortable just in the sense of okay it's not a majority partnership so it's not a direct conflict with tottenham and psg but basically everyone knows the money's coming from from the same place like do a number of deals start to be done between spurs squad psg squad things like that Mm. so i think those are the kind of questions whether it's spurs whether it's manchester united whether it's liverpool i've dodged your question a bit in regards to manchester united or liverpool um at the moment they're saying that's not where they're looking but you know if i had a huge sovereign wealth fund and i was looking for more clout and to be at the biggest table in the biggest league surely you have that conversation and we also know that avram glazer the manchester united co-owner was out in Doha around the time of the semi-finals and the finals having a number of meetings as well no idea if that extended to QSI or whether it was other partners in the Middle East but clearly you know the people that are able to invest in football clubs is an ever smaller pool at the very top end and the Middle East and Sovereign Wealth Fund are well up there Right to the Enic out lot who've been quite vocal of late at Spurs matches what would you say are they about to get their wish do you think and should they be quite careful what they wish for I mean, Tom's probably a better place than me to say how successful QSI have been at operating PSG. I mean, they've kind of won a lot in France. They failed to win the Champions League. It's generally been pretty dysfunctional um, in terms of 
a lot of the kind of behind the scenes machinations at times, but also incredibly compelling, entertaining to, to observe from a distance. Um, I don't think Enik are on their way out initially. I think they've always been kind of open to discussions, open to potential investment. A lot of these owners like to say that, you know, they're always open to minority stakes because they want to be the main person in the room and have someone else pay for it, essentially. Who wouldn't? Um, I think at some point, you know, everyone will cash out, right? That's the way that football club ownership works. Everyone's for sale to, to a certain extent. So I never believe it when a club says they're not for sale. But I think the priority at the moment for Spurs is can they just find that extra bit of capital um, rather than looking to sell the club outright? But if they were to get an offer that's, that's happy for everyone, then, then there you go. But I don't know, Tom, what do you think in terms of should Spurs fans be excited about QSI being involved? I mean, if you look at where PSG were when QSI bought them, I mean, they were one of the biggest clubs in France that they always have been. They're kind of a sleeping giant. Um, but I mean, they were almost relegated in, in 2008, three years before the Qataris arrived. And then within two years, they're, they're French champions. And they're now the biggest club in France, one of the biggest clubs in Europe, one of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, I think everything that they've done in sort of a marketing sense has, has worked. You know, you, even just walking around the streets of London, the number of PSG shirts you see, they have done what they promised to do at PSG in terms of taking the club into a new dimension off the pitch. And then on the pitch, they've put together exactly the kind of team you'd expect, uh, you know, owners with, with bottomless pockets to put together, Neymar, Messi, Mbappe. The only thing that they haven't achieved is, is winning the Champions League. You know, if you ask a Tottenham fan what they want, and you could have asked them at any point over the last 20 years, they you know what they'll say. We would like to win things, please, because this is a fantastic club and it's got an incredible stadium, but it would be nice to win some trophies. And, you know, if, if you look at what QSI have done at PSG, that would, I mean, OK, you, you never know. And, and the competition is, is much, much stronger in English football, which is a difference. But... If it's about silverware, then, yeah, that's obviously going to put them on a much firmer footing than they are currently. Right, if, if QSI were to be in judge. But, but Adam, just to sum up, then, it, we're a ways away from that being a reality for Spurs. I think so at the moment. You know, Unless those talks continue and, and develop, we don't know what the resolution of those conversations were. It's just conversations. And I suppose you know, you'd have all the same conversations that we've had around Manchester City and Newcastle. I think from the Qatari point of view, they will kind of probably take the opinion that well, we've got through a World Cup and most of the world seems to think we're all right. So right. we'll probably get away with it. And, you know, the Premier League aren't going to stop us and, and, and that's it. Mm. Strong on minority stakes, less strong on minorities. <laughs> but that's football's reality. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, while they're uh, dallying with uh, Qatar, it's the power from the Emirates that Spurs have to concern themselves with this Sunday. That's right, I'm talking about Arsenal. Arsenal have a miserable record away at Spurs. They haven't won at Tottenham in nearly nine years. They've lost all three of their visits to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. But in a parallel with what we were saying about City and United in Manchester, they did completely dominate Spurs when they played them at the Emirates back in October 3-1. They had Jesus then, Gabriel Jesus. Uh, is that going to make a difference, the fact that he's out? We saw them drop points at home to Newcastle last time in the, in the league. What, what are we anticipating from this North London derby? 
Well, I mean, I think one of the features of Arsenal's season so far, in the league at least, has been that every time they have been presented with a, a challenge, mm-hmm. they've they've risen to it. You know, the only game they've lost was that game at, at Old Trafford against against Man United in September, where they actually played pretty well and, and were, were largely felt to have been quite unfortunate. But apart from that, and with the, the slight caveat that they've not yet faced City in the league, they've pretty much turned up every time you know that they've needed to. Um, and as you say, that their recent record in away North London derbies is is pretty dismal. Tottenham always seem to score against Arsenal. Harry Kane always seems to score against Arsenal. Um, and you know we know that Arsenal go into this looking slightly weaker on paper because of you know the absence, most notably of Gabriel Jesus. Uh, but against that, you know that the the form hasn't hasn't dipped in any alarming way. I mean, you know, prior to that that draw against Newcastle in the league last time out, they were still. Racking up the wins in the Premier League, Eddie Nketiah has come into the team and 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 found his feet really quickly, scoring lots of goals. So yeah, I, I think it, I think it'll be it'll be really interesting because you know Spurs have been up and down, but go into this off the back of that that blowing off the cobwebs win away at Palace last weekend. They won in the cup as well against Portsmouth. So hmm. I think this is a really really key game. I know it's only three points on offer as per usual, but. Um, Arsenal are 6 for 6 in London derbies this year they've kind of got that issue off their back a little bit but if they can win away at Spurs I think that will give them such a sort of boost for the last few months it reminds me of when Leicester went away to uh, to Man City in the year they won the league and, and won and everyone was like okay um, I mean as Tom says Harry Kane is pretty much inevitable uh, he needs one goal to go level with Jimmy Greaves two to become the first, only the third player to reach 200. He'd be the only person in his 20s to score 200, reach 200 Premier League goals, which I can hear I can hear people saying that's not a trophy from here, but it's still pretty impressive. So. How old was Alan Shearer when he hit 200 top flight goals then? He was 31. Is that third? just Prem or is that just first Prem. division as well? Yeah, oh, if you, yeah okay, uh, you're one of them. Um, and then Rooney... <laughs> you Rooney know, you was, know I'm one of them. And Rooney, I think Rooney was 30, uh, just turned 32 when he reached 200. So... So yeah, um, but as we know, Spurs are very good in the in the second half. But so are Arsenal. They're the t- two top scoring teams after half time this season. Really? Is so, that right? Uh, so, I mean, I think both the big derbies this weekend. Um, you can expect goals. But we've said this before on this program. But um, sorry, it's not a program. <laughs> I mean, it is. Yeah. It makes it sound really serious. Mm. Yeah, we've said this before on this podcast. We're on record as saying. Oh, I'm going to go. We've said before on this podcast slash program. Um, about derbies, and I do think what we said before about we're, we're kind of ranking them unofficially in Were terms we? of yeah, we have done that. What okay. conclusion did we come up with? Well, I think that for consistency purposes, Spurs Arsenal is the the best or you know regular Premier League derby because okay. it, it always throws up good games. I can't really think of a bad a bad North London derby, right? Um, be that with goals, incident, comebacks, whatever. So you can think of a bad Manchester derby. Yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, fair, fair, Carl. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with, with, with Duncan's observation. I believe Michael Cox has also said that the North London derby is, is one of the most entertaining ones, if only because it, it's got a collection of players who are either on the way to being world-class or on the downturn from being world-class. Uh, and very often, the way to win a North London derby is to counter-punch your way through it. But you're not really supposed to do that because the fans will get on your back. You're not really supposed to cede possession, which is why... Tottenham's defeat in the 3-1 was so annoying to Spurs fans because they just went, why didn't you have a go? You can't yeah. sit back in a North London derby. You have to make an attempt. Uh, and this is why you have so many high-scoring games because it's just the right old ding-dong. Well, it's an interesting point because they're at home this weekend. So there's going to be so much pressure on them 
to take the game to Arsenal, but that's not presumably what Conte wants to do remotely. I mean, they have thus far shown themselves remarkably resilient when it comes to resisting the pressure to try and play football. <laughs> I mean, you go back to their most recent home game in the league in that 2-0 defeat against Villa. That was, I think, as bad as I've seen Spurs play in the last three or four years. Mm. I mean, they were really really poor just totally devoid of 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 imagination and and you know and and creativity um and knowing the way that that Arsenal like to to dominate the ball and and impose themselves um i i don't see spurs going into this in in any other in any other way than than their usual approach which is to you know to to sit deep and and, and be compact and and try and hit arsenal on on the break um i mean i think the fact that the fact that they you know, got a few goals under their belts in that in that game at Palace will do them good because you know prior to the, the defeat against Villa, they'd drawn away at, at Brentford for the first game back, having had to come from behind uh, once again. Um, so at least that gives them a little bit of of, of momentum and, and was evidence that they are capable of scoring goals. But I'd be very surprised if they change their approach in this one. We'll see how that pans out. Next up, Brighton Liverpool. That sounds like fun. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Saturday afternoon at three. You can't watch it in the UK. It is Brighton-Liverpool. Brighton drew 3-3 at Anfield. Do you remember in Roberto Di Zerbi's first game in charge, Leandro Trossard with a hat-trick that day. And they've been absolutely flying of late. They've won six of their last nine in all competitions. Scoring 14 goals in the last four games. Last weekend, they beat Borough in the Cup. Something we didn't give enough love to was Alexis McAllister's oh, extraordinary delightful. backheel flick in that game. <laughs> Woof. Looking for his third goal in successive games there. Evan Ferguson, but it's touched in. Oh, what a remarkable touch from McAllister. And Brighton stretch out into a 3-1 lead through World Cup winner Alexis McAllister. Same end of the pitch as well, if I'm not mistaken, as the famous uh, Carnu mid-air backheel volley for Arsenal back in the day. So maybe there's something about every 20 years at that end mm. of the uh, of the Riverside, keep keep your eyes peeled for a, a tasty backheel finish. Very Do nice. love how McAllister's you know gone away, won the World Cup. You might have heard. Um, not I haven't actually heard him not described as World Cup winner Alexis McAllister yet, but. Um, but he seems to have just gone up a couple of levels. It's a real. It's there's always a couple of players that come out of World Cups and it's like they've they've actually you know revamped and yeah, he's become an actual genuine superstar. Mm. He's got a brace in what Tom points out was a five-one victory for Brighton. Brighton, the team who never used to score goals, eh? 
And what do you what do you think about their chances then on Saturday against a Liverpool side who've been struggling on the road, struggling? I think this is going to be a battle of the midfield. Brighton's midfield now is well balanced, competent, really aggressive. Whereas Liverpool's midfield is just. I don't know, really. Uh, mm. Jordan Henderson can't really play as the number six against all Premier League opposition. Fabinho appears to be in the midst of a slow dip, decline, however you want to define it. And Liverpool are just a lot more porous in, in an area of strength for Brighton. So if you are of the opinion that the City and Arsenal are the favourites in their games this weekend, then this is the one I'm going to say has the chance of being an upset. Okay. Liverpool, well, what, who are currently only one point above Brighton, Duncan. I was just, well, what would be an upset in this mm. game? I mean, we've seen the numbers. Liverpool have given up 51 big chances, clear-cut chances this season. If you look at the other end, Arsenal the fewest, 21, Newcastle 22, United 22 as well, and Man City 23, mm. and Liverpool in the 50s. So we know that Brighton will get some good chances in this game, and we now know they have the players that can finish. So, I mean, I think... To Carl's point, it's mad, but I think almost a draw is a good result for Liverpool. Huh? Wow. Seagulls have scored twice as many Premier League goals as they had at this point last season when they still have that hapless boob grim potty. Remember him? Currently the handbrake on Chelsea season, of course. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we'll talk about Chelsea very shortly. That's always fun. So there you go. Duncan's saying that even a point would be a good result for Liverpool. I think Carl would probably agree. Tom? I will also agree. I mean, I think the fact that you know, Liverpool's last game in the league was that defeat at Brentford, where we saw so much of what has been their undoing um, this season. Abysmal defending and some really, you know, some really soft goals conceded. Um, and, and it seems to, I think, you know, without, you know, without wanting to over-dramatise things, but I think when every single player in the team is making mistakes, that idea that some kind of malaise has set in is, is harder to, to get away from. You look at Alisson, you know, gifting that goal to, to Wolves. It, it feels like every single time Liverpool play a game, someone else is, is making a, a, a calamitous mistake. Um, you know, and prior to that Brentford game, they were, on a, they were on a decent run. You know, I think there were four, four straight wins and then, you know, everything falls apart. And, you know, we know what Brighton can do to teams, particularly teams who, you know, who who have the temerity to try and play football against Brighton. They're very good at, at you know, shutting teams like that down and, and, and punishing them. So, yeah, I, I think from a Liverpool perspective, even though there is real urgency in terms of picking up points and climbing up the table, I think most Liverpool fans would, would probably would probably take a draw before this. Crikey. Newcastle are currently third in the table and they're facing Fulham on Sunday. Fulham have got a busy few days. They've also got Chelsea, as previously mentioned, this Thursday night. Before we get on to Fulham and Chelsea and any other things, uh, Newcastle, as mentioned, getting through to a semi-final. They haven't been in the last four of any cup competition since the FA Cup in 2005. How about that? And they've got Dan Byrne scoring and dancing. Mm. I enjoyed his dance, got to say. Did yeah, it looked, like a, it looked like a salmon trying to get up a river. Do you think? Yeah, I liked it. But it was classic not, sort of... Not what came to mind for really? me. Yeah. Not. I thought it was quite... There was something... Something fish-like to it. Yeah. All right. Kind of w- wiggly. I mean, any tall man dancing is is, is, is funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think people... But, I've, but I feel like he, he owned it. You know, we were laughing with him. Oh, with him. Absolutely. I just want to make that clear. And so were all his teammates. And Eddie Howe. Mm. Mm. Eddie Howe. Mm. Yeah. Terrific. So they're taking you know, on... Sorry, just mm. on Dan Burton. Yeah. I discovered this week. He's only got nine fingers. Does everyone know this? Yeah, we've talked about this. Oh, okay. I must have have we done that? that? I think so. Okay. Gee, a lot of stuff's gone on in this podcast. <laughs> 
previously on this programme. Right. Um, how many top-level footballers are missing digits? Now how we, many top-level footballers have got six toes and one foot? Oh, I feel like there's probably a well-known one. Jamie Carragher does not have a belly button. What? What? How's that possible? Immaculate birth. Uh, it's, uh, there, there were complications oh. uh, when Jamie Carragher was born. He had surgery as his baby uh, to put some organs in their correct position. Uh, and as a result, he does not have a belly button. Oh, good for him. He's made a quite a career of it without a, a belly button, hasn't he? Any players with three nipples at all, Carl, that you know? None immediately sprang to mind. Okay. All right. Listener, if you know one, usual address. Uh, so Dan Byrne with one goal, Jewel Linton with the other as they swept past Leicester. Newcastle in the League Cup midweek and they host Fulham who, as I mentioned, have got a busy couple of days because they've got Chelsea Thursday evening. We On Tuesday we were talking about, oh, sorry, Monday we were talking about how much how much fun Fulham are being under Marco Silva this season. I mean, uh, this yep. game is that Paul Rudd meme when, you know, they sort of look at, look at us. Who'd have thought? It, Newcastle and Fulham are like... they're With the, the hot sauce. Yeah. yeah. It's... Um, they're having a good old season. I mean, obviously, we're recording this before the before the Fulham Chelsea game, mm. but you know, as as is the theme today, what what would the real short result be there? Well, well, indeed, it probably would be Fulham winning. I suspect. Well, Newcastle back to back nil nil draws in the league going into this, really, um, and you know, we're pretty convincing against against Leicester. I mean, they were exceptionally convincing against Leicester. It was an extremely one sided game, but you know, uh, albeit playing against. You know, Arsenal league leaders and, and Leeds who, who put in a really decent defensive display, maybe slight signs of a of a slowdown. Okay. Alexander Mitrovic returning to his former club, potentially, if selected and that. Quick word on Chelsea, if we may. Uh, they are going to be playing Fulham Thursday evening. That might have happened by the time you hear this listener. But the Palace game that they've got coming up on Sunday afternoon, two o'clock, a possible debut for Jao Felix. Which is exciting. Goal scorer challenge. Pointing out the nine million that I believe that they're paying for the privilege of having him on loan for the rest of the season. What that would have got you over the years. Nineteen ninety, nine million, Roberto Baggio. Woof. Ninety five, Stan Collymore. Two thousand, Ugo Echiog. Two thousand and five, Albert Luque. 2010, Kenwin Jones. I think we can see the where, where this is going. Facunda Palistri. In 2023, and now Jao Felix for six months. I mean, that's inflation for you, isn't it, really? We we had some reservations, I think it's fair to say, when we were chatting with the Euro crew on Tuesday about how much sense Jao Felix makes for 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 Chelsea. Does anybody seem feel more convinced? But... Liam wrote a very good piece on The Athletic saying, now we know Christian Pulisic is injured, we know the status of Raheem Sterling, the deal makes more sense now. Uh, I, I think it's very good that you, you bring up Roberto Baggio because Baggio it was one of those players in that sort of second striker, not quite a number nine, not quite a number 10 mm. during his pomp. And I think that is Felix's best position slash biggest problem. Uh, Chelsea as a whole are crying out for someone like Olivier Giroud. They're, they've got a lot of nice dribbly inside forwards that aren't particularly explosive and, and would all appreciate having a, a big man or a big man at the top to, to just stretch defenders so they can have fun in the half space. Right, because I'm slow. I'm thinking, isn't that what Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was meant to represent? No, um, uh, Pierre is not a, a target man who can receive with his back to goal in the All same right. way that, say, Olivier Giroud can. Or right. indeed, as, as a, there you go, I was just about to say. 
Okay, so in other words, getting Jao Felix is fine, but not without the big fella that he's going to play off. Possibly. It feels like another very talented young attacking midfielder slash forward who isn't going to score the goals that Chelsea desperately need. I think the only thing you can say pro the move is we don't actually know Felix's ceiling at the moment because he's been playing in such a defensive team and you know being asked to do stuff that doesn't really suit him. I think he will. I think he'll look a lot better for Chelsea than he did at Atletico. So hmm. it could work. And as Carl said, they have lost a lot of players in that position, so they do kind of need someone. Chelsea have lost six of their last nine in all competitions. This is before Thursday night's clash with Fulham. But uh, Palace are not in a great run of form. Lost four of the last five. Well, well, Graham Potter's come out this week and said that managing Chelsea is the, the hardest job in football. But playing Palace for Chelsea is the easiest. They've won 10 in a row against them. So hmm. this, is a, this is a litmus test. I like those. I mean, if I'll... Chelsea don't win this, yep. and they should, but they might not, I think it... It, it will not it will not be a good sign. What are you saying, Tom? I'm just saying, you, you look at the points that they've dropped. No, no, late. but what are you saying? No, I'm, you're not going to you're not going to push say me it. into it's saying war. something I don't want to say. It's war. All right. But I mean, Tom's like, bottled it, Carl. But the, the, the points that Chelsea have dropped of late, losing at home to City, yeah. losing away at Newcastle, losing at home to Arsenal, mm. drawing away at Forest, who've got a very good home record. You can kind of see how those results might Befall a club who are missing lots of big players, um, and the last very winnable home game they had against Bournemouth uh, off the back of the World Cup, they won. Mm. Um, obviously, we're, we're recording before the, the Fulham game this evening, um, but yeah, I, I think. What about if Chelsea they lose not... to Fulham and Palace? What would you say then? Well, I mean, it's, it's what, war. What are you saying? It's war. <laughs> it is war. All right. With that in mind, uh, let's move on. We've done loads, says producer Charlie. So after this, we'll be back to round up the other things. And listener will do it in a nice pacey fashion, yeah, so you can get on with your, your busy schedule. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 
This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Down at the bottom of the Premier League, and what could be a very tasty round for the teams in trouble. You've got Everton, Wolves and Saints who are currently in the relegation spots. Saints bottom, but there are only three from West Ham in 17th place. And West Ham are only goal difference outside the bottom three. The next four teams above them are Bournemouth, Forest, Leeds and Leicester. And they're very much in the mix. They are all Bournemouth, Forest, Leeds and Leicester within two points of trouble. Forest and Leicester are playing each other this weekend. Wow, that's going to be big. Wolves, West Ham as well. What would you rather watch? That You can't see either of them. They're both at three o'clock on Saturday. That's <laughs> rotten luck. But I mean, luckily, Brentford Bournemouth on at half past five. All oh, right, that's nice. That's nice. So there's that. Bournemouth, I mean, yeah. Forest Leicester's a big game. It's at East Midlands Derby. Um, presumably, Forest won't be flying to this one because it's at home. But you never know. <laughs> never know. There was some. I mean, among the regrettable scenes midweek were players brawling mm. in the Forest game with uh, Wolves. Well, yeah. Mm. What did that? Well, it was a very um, heightened end to the game. It was a penalty shootout. Mm. Um, Morgan Gibbs-White, obviously formerly of Wolves, to one of the best penalties I've ever seen. He did the sort of hop-skip-jump penalty, but still managed to smash it in the in the top corner. Um, but then he put his fingers in his ears to, to the Wolves fans who... And I, I do love football fans at this point. There was a, a really great one of Deli Alley sort of laughing at Chelsea fans at Stamford Bridge. There was obviously the Emmanuel Adebayo running the length of the pitch mm. at, at City to Theo celebrate. Theo Walcott doing the old 2-0 on and the stretcher. Yep. Mm. Football fans love giving it out, but as soon as a player gives anything back, the, the outrage on their face is tremendous. It's like, well, you can't do that. It's like, well, I sort of can. So Forrest, who went through on penalties after a 1-1 draw with Wolves in the Carabao Cup, taking on a Leicester team whose form since the World Cup has been... I mean, any signs of recovery that they made after their dismal start to the season seem to have evaporated. They didn't play that badly against Fulham oh, last time out. Did they not? You, sort of, you look at the, the, the balance of play, possession, uh, attempts, shots on target, and I think Yuri Tillemans had a chance at the end that he, that, he, that he put against the crossbar that would have given them uh, a point as opposed to nothing. So, And then prior to that, away at Liverpool... Very scratchy Liverpool win. Um, you know, I think Leicester went ahead, didn't they, Kieran Dewsbury Hall? So, I mean, uh, and, I think, you know, uh, obviously the, the, the results haven't been great, three straight defeats. But I think performance-wise, they're probably not well, that far off the way they were playing. Their, their, numbers, their numbers are all right. They've got the joint highest shot-ending high turnovers this season. So, they're actually winning... I'm sorry, what? Shot-ending high turnovers, um, which is basically winning the ball in the attacking third and having a shot, which is... Good, that is good. But they're, okay. just, they're not scoring them. And I think, obviously, remember last year I said Jamie so Vardy. Jamie, yeah. Oh. I went one season early, but essentially, you know, he's having to play at the moment due to injuries and he's not really doing it. And that's the issue. I think if Leicester could get one player in the in January, it, uh, someone that could score goals, I think they'd actually be be okay. They're obviously still missing Madison. We, the big fuss, will Madison be be at the World Cup? Obviously, didn't didn't feature at all. And so, um, but yeah, this game's always great. You know, it's a really really hotly contested local derby and um, it's a shame like you say that it's uh, it's hidden in the blackout yeah. I think we forget how much aggro there is in the East Midlands mm. in the East Midlands football scene because Premier League derbies between Forest Leicester and Derby have been right. pretty rare in recent years but there there is there is real real animosity and right. that's what we as neutrals we love uh, to uh, see Wolves part of that I'm guessing 
Although no, not when Tim Spears country, he, aren't they? They're, 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 I don't yeah. know the Midlands well enough to. to no, Tim I'm about theoretically it, from them, from the Midlands. So yeah, Wolves. Tim Spears says no. Yeah, he says right. no. <laughs> yeah. Wolves have got West Ham coming up this weekend. Uh, they are only one point apart. West Ham, who are in 17th place, and Wolves still in 19th for all that recovery they've been making. Still in 19th place. West Ham as well have a terrific record against Wolves. They won four of the last five meetings. What do you think, though, this uh, revival under Julian Lopetegui? Are we going to see Wolves whizzing out of the uh, the bottom three, Carl, this weekend? Not not a whiz, but uh, a slow crawl, it seems. Oh, yeah? I think the most the most impressive thing about Wolves is how Lopetegui is just wearing a turtleneck and not a jacket on the dugout. They are playing more like their competent selves on the Nuno, which means it's not great football to watch. Uh, and there's often a 20-minute period in these Wolves games where you're going, why are you not trying to play football? This is incredibly boring. But then, lo and behold, um, they're, they're not really conceding too many massive opportunities now. There's a competency there that if they can find, if Cunha especially mm. can get himself into a bit of goal-scoring form, I wouldn't be surprised if they got themselves out of that precarious position right lovely assist for Raul Jimenez in the Carabao Cup midweek alright well that's a big game him and a great celebration for him as well just sort of stood in the gum laughing which I think is a <laughs> tremendous way to celebrate goal. I do yeah. think we're on course for one could be one of the best ever relegation battles in oh, yeah? history basically I mean if we if we assume Chelsea in 10th is safe okay. ra- raised eyebrow from Villa down in 11th any any one of those teams could, could go down There's well, no Villa one... are currently 7 points clear of the drop yeah um, but so are Palace, and right. but Villa have played a game more than, than a lot of teams. I mean, certainly if you take it from Leicester in 13th, they're only two points off the drop. Yeah, but I, th- I think anyone from Villa and Palace down you can you can include. And, and we've I think not even reached the season's halfway point last exactly. as well, so there's a, there's a lot of football still to be played. I don't know why I went Geordie for that, but... No, no, <laughs> it's worked though, absolutely. Uh, Bournemouth uh, very much in that mix in 16th place. You mentioned the fact that we can enjoy their game uh, although they might not, against Brentford, Saturday at 7.30. Gary O'Neill, five <laughs> defeats out of five since uh, being made permanent manager and knocked out of both domestic cup competitions. Also coming up uh, this weekend, Friday night, is Aston Villa Leeds, which we've not left a lot of time for. So, Carl, very quickly, Aston Villa Leeds. It was uh, nil-nil between them in October. In a word, in a sound. <laughs> Villa, yeah, Emery, Emery's plucky clarets. Boom. <laughs> That's that previewed. Oh, should be a good game. Should be better than the last one. Jesse yeah. Marsh was yeah. furious at the last one, and and Villa's time wasting. Our fans don't come here to watch a snail pace match. He said. I hope it's even worse than that. Jesse Marsh gets even more angry. Crikey, that'd be entertaining. But That's on Friday night. If you don't fancy that, if you don't fancy snail pace football. Then BT Sport are offering you Napoli Juventus. Now, ordinarily, I wouldn't say Mm. go and watch the City instead because, you know, you you make your own choices. But Napoli Juve this weekend is particularly important because Napoli are seven points clear of the team in second place. Who's that? Oh, my God, it's Juventus. And who's that team who have won their last eight straight games in Serie A without conceding a single goal, Duncan? Uh, Juventus. It is. Wow. Anyway, and that's going to be at a... uh, a pretty hustling, bustling uh, stadio, Diego Armando Maradona. So, uh, and you know, they get really fired up for those north south clashes. There you go, options. Listen, what you get it. up to? Hmm? Dual screen it. Yeah, I mean, that's what we do. 
Super stuff. That is it for today's Totally Football Show. I wish you all a very happy weekend doing whatever it is you're going to be doing. Carl, Tom, Duncan, producer Charlie, you listener. Do join us again on Monday when we'll reunite to compare notes on football. Now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.